This is KMTT. Tuesday, Parshat HaShavua, will be delivered by Rav Alex Israel. Our Parsha this week, Parsha Masa'eh, is almost entirely focused on the conquest of Eretz Yisrael, of Bnei Yisrael's arrival in their new, um, in their new land, the Promised Land. At the end of Paraklamad Gimel, we see the command to conquer the land, the warning against Avodah Zarah. And in fact, uh, here there is a debate between Rashi and Ramban about the Pesukim, but according to the Ramban, it is here that we see the mitzvah of Aliyah, the mitzvah of living in the land of Israel. Paraklamad Dalad takes us to the borders of the land and to the... Um, the, the leaders, the Nisiim, who are actually going to apportion the land to the different tribes. Paraklamad Hay, chapter 35, um, describes the 48 Arei Halavim, the 48 cities, four per tribe, which are apportioned to the Kohanim and Levim, and amongst those there are six which are designated as Arei Miklat, as uh, refuge cities for the inadvertent murderer for the accidental murderer, the manslaughter, where a person who has not intended to kill somebody but kills by accident flees in order to save his life, in order to get a fair trial. And uh, the last parak, Perak Vav, deals with uh, a complaint. A complaint by the tribes of the daughters of Tzlofchad, by the tribes of Menashe, who claim that if we allow um, inheritance rights to women when the women get married their husbands will chip away at the ancestral portion and therefore some solution is made for exactly how this uh, should work what you can see when you look at the when you look at Parshat Marseille is that everything here revolves around inheritance revolves around the apportioning of the land the conquest of the land the apportioning of the land between the tribes, sectioning off cities for the Levim, various complaints of tribes who are concerned about how the inheritance will pan out. And in this regard, I would say that Sefer Bamidbar ends on a crescendo. It ends at 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 its pinnacle. And why is that so? Because the whole aim of Sefer Bamidbar was to bring us to the promised land was to take us from Har Sinai to Eretz Israel, and despite the hiccup of the 40 years in the middle, we have now reached that point. There is now a certainty, there is a clear sense that Israel is on the horizon, and is be, be, it is closer than the horizon, it is imminent, that in a very short amount of time, everybody will be enter, entering into the land and now it is just a question of dotting the I's and crossing the T's of making sure that everything is is planned and prepared for in order for the the conquest and settlement of Israel to take place. And in this regard, we now can turn the page to Sefer Devarim, Moshe's final speeches, which are there to prepare us, to remind us of the mitzvot, to remind us of our national priorities before we enter into the land. We are ready to fulfill the destiny, the destiny which the whole trek through the Midbar has led us. So that is a broad overview 
of uh, the majority of Parshat Mas'e. And uh, I would say it, it is certainly a very exciting Parsha. Um, in certain ways, it's also a very beautiful counterweight to the atmosphere of the three weeks where we are thinking about our exile, we're thinking about the destruction of our national collective, the destruction of the temple, and the dispersion of the people from the land. And as we read these parashiyot and we think about the excitement of Bnei Israel as they enter the land, this certainly puts a very, very different weight um, to the three weeks. However, I'm going to take the few minutes that we have together to talk about the opening segment of the parsha, the section for which it gets its name, Masa'e Bnei Israel, the journeys of Bnei Israel, where Perak Lamed Gimel begins with a recounting, a summary of all the 42 um, journeys from the borders of Egypt to the borders of Israel. And this is the first uh, 50 verses which uh, recount all the different places in almost a, a rhythmic monotony. One wonders, once again, um, why we need this laundry list, why we need this long, detailed uh, listing. And I think I have already related to the questions of uh, lists within the Torah, but uh, let us revisit that, particularly in reference to um, Parashat Marseille and the list of the journeys, the list of the various, the itinerary of Bnei Israel here. Um, the question, of course, relates to the fact that we have always been taught that the Torah is uh, very careful with words. And if the Torah is so careful with, it, with, with, with every single word, why does it need to list all of this uh, detail? So one approach would be to say that even though we've been taught this idea that the Torah um, is very, very economical with its language, that would certainly not seem to be the case uh, in every situation. If we remember Sefer Breshit, Breshit uh, loves to mark time through lists. It doesn't tell us in this year Avram was born, in this year Noah was born. The way it describes the transition of time is by telling us that there were ten generations between Adam and Noah, and it lists that this person lived this long, and they had at this age this son, and this son lived this long, etc. The ten generations between Adam and Noah, the ten generations between Noah and Avraham. And this is the manner, rather in a modern uh, way, in which we count time uh, through the use of numbers. Uh, there it is through the use of uh, generations. And that uh, we can certainly appreciate through Sefer Barashit. That's the way it tells the story. Similarly in Sefer Shemot, both in the genealogies of Sefer Shemot or the lists of Sefer Shemot, the very detailed recounting of all of the uh, collections for the Mishkan, 
or the very precise measure, measurements of the Mishkan through the very architecture um, it somehow tells us about uh, the construction of this very special sanctuary in other words through the tools of technical information the Torah transmits meaning what I'm trying to say is that the Torah does use repetition and it does use lists to tell its story now some will see this just as a stylistic thing I think in the past in one of our shiurim I quoted the academic uh, who wrote the Art of Biblical Narrative, um, Robert Alter, who has a whole chapter in his book called The Techniques of Repetition. And he, I'll quote a few lines from, from, his, from his book here. He says, One of the most imposing barriers that stands between the modern reader and the imaginative subtlety of biblical narrative is the extraordinary prominence of verbatim repetition in the Bible. He says, Repetition is, I would guess, the feature of biblical narrative that looks the most primitive to the casual modern eye. Reflecting, we may imagine, a mentality alien to our own and radically different approach to ordering experience to the ones familiar to us. He suggests the following, he says, In the more leisurely, simpler life rhythms of the ancient Near East, so it would seem, Every instruction, every prediction, every reported action had to be repeated word for word in inexorable literalism, as it was obeyed, fulfilled or reported to the other party. Perhaps some have impressionistically conjectured there is an oriental sense of intrinsic pleasingness of repetition in the underlying aesthetic of the Bible. For Robert Alter, this is a matter of aesthetics, a matter of style, a matter of... uh, literary technique and uh, there might be something to that there might be some notion of telling the story of the journey from exile to the promised land through the use of this rhythmic it almost features like like poetry and that is possible Um, whichever way What uh, Robert Alter does point out, and it's something that we should think about, is the fact that the Torah does enjoy lists, it enjoys repetition, and we have to probe the reason for these lists. And it is here that, rather than using contemporary academic literary analysis, I'm going to turn to our classic Mufarshim to see how they, they relate to this list. And we're actually going to spend our time this week looking at the comments of Rashi. Rashi brings two different approaches. The approach of, first, Rabbi Moshe Hardarshan, and second, the approach of the Midrash Tanchuma. These are actually two of Rashi's favorite sources for his material that he brings in his Perush al Torah. So let me read through some of what uh, Rashi says here, the two interpretations and then see if we can engage in something of an analysis of these interpretations. The first Rashi reads in the following way, Why did we need to record or write all of these journeys? The answer is, The purpose is to demonstrate God's kindness, God's mercy. Even though God had issued a harsh decree that they should be 
taken through in a sort of an endless sense of movement through the wilderness. One should not think um, that they were in a constant state of wandering and travel from place to place throughout the 40 years. Um, and they had no rest at all. And he explains how this can be. He says, and I'll, I'll stop reading the Hebrew and maybe just follow in the English. He says, when you look at the list, there are only 42 seg- stages, 42 destinations, 42 resting points. He says the first 14 are all in the first year of the Midbar, even before they were decreed to stay in the Midbar in the, in the wilderness for 40 years. And he says there are another eight which are in the final year of the Midbar on their journey to Eretz Yisrael. So if you take the 14 and the 8, that adds up, adds up to um, 22. There are only 42 in total. So he says, what can you see here? What we see is that in the 38 intervening years, the 38 years where they were decreed to be incessantly wandering around the Midbar, they only traveled 20 um, movements, 20 journeys. Only 20 journeys in 38 years. In other words, they moved an average of once every two years. Says Rashi, This we get from Rabbi Moshe Hadarshan. That's explanation number one. Explanation number two. Rabbi Tanchuma gave a different explanation. And he gives a mashal, a parable. It is compared to a king who had a sick son, and he led him to a very distant land in order to heal him. When they were on the return journey, his father began to count or to reminisce about all of the outward journey, about the places they had visited, and he said, Kan yashanu, here we slept, Kan hokarnu, here we were cold, Kan chashashtet roshecha, here your head hurt. Um, this is the second explanation. So let's summarize. For Rabbi Moshe HaDarshan, the purpose is to draw attention to God's kindness. I'm going to summarize it in a second. Um, for Rabbi Tanchuma, he gives the example of the king with a sick son. And um, again, we will we will come and analyze this. So let's take each one of these interpretations part by part. For Rabbi Moshe Hadarshan, uh, the main point here is the fact what is what is looming over Sefer Bamidbar is the terrible decree of 40 years in the wilderness. After all, Bnei Yisrael were meant to go straight into Eretz Yisrael. And we might portray HaKadosh Baruch Hu as particularly cruel. After all, he took the people out of Egypt. They really wanted to go into the Promised Land. He led them to the border. They messed up. And now he convicts them to a whole generation of waiting. Um, and he tells them they're going to wander around the Midbar for 40 years. It all sounds desperately cruel, um, maybe even unreasonable. And, um, 
the, the aim of this list, which uh, again there is a debate who exactly was the instigator of this list. Um, the Ramban insists that it was Hashem himself, as it says in Pasuk Bet. The question is whether Alpi Hashem refers to their journeying or the writing of the list. But according to the Ramban, um, the list is written by God, and maybe in order to exonerate God himself. What do we mean? The Midbar is described here as a harsh place. The journeying as arduous and difficult. And um, each leg of the trek would have involved tremendous hardship, considerable effort um, to take a whole nation through the Midbar. Were we wandering for 40 years? Was God that cruel? So we see this list in order to remind us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu really didn't uh, impose such a harsh punishment upon the people. When we reached the final account, there were really only... 20 legs of the journey, 20 stages in 40 years, the people were sort of encamped in the wilderness. Once in a while they moved. Uh, but it really wasn't as bad as God God said. His bark was worse than his bites. HaKadosh Baruch Hu decreed that we will wander in the wilderness for 40 years, but we barely, we barely shifted camp, maybe at a rate of once every two years. Um, but it wasn't really a considerable hardship. It wasn't as hard as we thought. Uh, in, in in the the whole list is to tell us to explain how gracious God was. That's the approach of Rabbi Moshe Hadarshan. However, I find uh, Rabbi Tanchuma's approach more interesting. Rabbi Tanchuma talks about a father who is travelling with his ailing child, apparently in search of a cure for the son's, uh, I guess, life-threatening illness. Now, first of all, if the, according to Rabbi Tanchuma, they go to seek a cure, and now they're on their way home. And if they are travelling home, then it would have seemed like the child has recovered and the, the danger is past. Well, if that is the mashal, if that is the parable, what is the nimshal? The nimshal is obviously Bnei Israel. Bnei Israel are described as sick, and Bnei Israel are now cured. Now, this already tells us something about the way that Rabbi Tanchuma perceives the Midbar. The Midbar is a journey of healing. It is a journey of transformation. The Midbar is a process of repentance. The Midbar is taking a nation from a situation of sickness to a situation of health. We don't quite know with what Bnei Israel were sick. What was their, what was their ailment? What was their illness? Was it as a lack of trust, a lack of faith, that they didn't want to go into the promised land and didn't trust God? Was it their association with uh, idolatry or maybe their association with Egypt, with the Egel Hazahav? Um, what exactly was it? Uh, what illness did they, were they required to purge and, and, and to, to gain, to gain uh, a cure? And yet... It is clear that once the danger is behind them, once they have been cured, the future looks bright. The father and son here look through the the picture album of their travels, their travels which were so tense when they were travelling towards their cure, when they were travelling to, to seek a doctor. And um, here we were sick, here your head hurt, here um, you were cold, etc. Now... 
none of that attention is there. They look back on all these things and they laugh at them. They look at them with a smile. It's all good memories. They're reminiscing. I'd even say more than that. Parshat Mas'e, the list of all these travels, which is again remembered with a with a sense of fondness, represents the intimacy of father and son, of God and Am Yisrael as they return from their ordeal. They're now stronger, they're now closer. Um, and in that regard, the, the, the Midbar is, is totally different. For Rabbi Moshe HaDarshan, the wilderness was a harsh world. It was uncomfortable, it was unwelcoming. It's a punishment. The wilderness is a punishment. Um, and as we said, the deliberate listing is a defense of God. However, according to the Tanchum, it's totally different. The Midbar is a process of, of healing B'nai Israel. And maybe once again, uh, this, so we can look back on Sefer Bamidbar, and uh, Marseille is written at the end to remind us how far we have come, how much we have been cured, that the that we were in danger of not surviving at the beginning of this process, but that now that we have we have recovered, now we deserve the promised land. And um, we can look at all the terrible sins of the first years, the rejection of Eretz Yisrael with the Meraglim, and we can say, okay, fine, that happened. Here we were cold, here we made a mistake. Okay, you know, we were kids then, we were a slave nation then, but look how much we've changed, look how much we've grown, look how much we've improved. So that is a very, very different perspective according to the Tanchuma. I should add a third perspective, and that is this perspective of Rabbi Sforno. The Sforno says something very different. And he says, Ratzaha Keli Barak Shikhtavu Mas'e Israel. If uh, Rabbi Moshe Hadarshan said that the purpose was to, to talk about how kind God is, the Sforna says that this is listed to show how wonderful Bnei Israel are. Here Bnei Israel are not under punishment, Bnei Israel are not sick, but rather he quotes And this is clearly a paraphrasing of the Psukim we read in the Haftarah last week, Sahartilach, the Psukim from Yirmiyahu, Perak Bet, Sahartilach Chesen Uraich, Ahavat Kumrotaich, Lechtech Acharag Bamidbar. I remember um, the days of our love, the days of our marriage. The Midbar is described as a, as a honeymoon stage. B'nai Israel followed God to the Midbar like a woman in love with a man when he goes out on a trek into a wasteland, um, B'nai Israel follow their beloved. In this case, the, the very detailed travel itinerary demonstrates the extent that Israel is dedicated to God. It, it, it represents their commitment to God. Um, maybe this foreigner adopts this perspective because there are things missing from this list in Marseille. The list in Marseille totally ignores all the sins and the punishments of the Midbar. It doesn't mention all of the rebellions and debacles and anger of God in the Midbar. And I think that Sfarna sees this list not as a sort of a thorough review or a comprehensive account. Rather, there is a, a certain ideology that underpins the events chosen, and that is that HaKadosh Baruch is trying to say how much Bnei Israel had dedication to him. And so, in summary, and we're going to finish off here, although I will give one final reflection. We have three very different perceptions as to what this list is. 
For Rabbi Moshe HaDashan, the Midbar is a punishment. For Rabbi Tanchuma, it is a process of healing, a process of repair. And for the Sfarno, it is communicates the love between God and Israel, the love, maybe more accurately, from Israel towards God. So this is quite a quite a range, quite a radical difference between all the different approaches. However, I would like to add a final note before we before we end off for this week. When we look at the notion of of travelling, when we think about the Mas'e B'nai Israel, the journey of B'nai Israel, we can look at travelling in two different ways. Sometimes we travel totally in order to reach our destination. In this situation, the journey is frequently a nuisance. Uh, it's a necessary inconvenience if we're going to have to travel certain distances. For example, I need to get to work. So if I could, uh, I could walk, but if I can, I'll drive or I'll, I'll take the high-speed train. I have to get to work. and uh, Okay, but the main thing is to get to work. If I have to get to a meeting somewhere, I might have to fly there. But the aim is to cover the distance in minimal time and to minimize the strain, the tedium, the, the discomfort of the journey. Uh, sometimes the journey is unpleasant, grueling, but I have to do it. The aim is to get where I need to get to. But there are times when travel is not bad at all. Sometimes travel is an end within itself. People will go travelling through Europe, travelling through the Far East. The idea of a vacation is um, meant to be a positive experience, which is savoured, which is absorbed, which enriches the person. It enlightens the traveller as they see new sights and sounds. They meet new people. They experience new things. Maybe the aim is for the individual to, the, the tourist, to expand his horizons. Sometimes he will go in order to challenge himself, to grow and learn and discover himself, developing new insights, new knowledge about himself. So which is Parshat Marseille? Is Parshat Marseille the first type of travel? Is it just about getting to Eretz Israel, traversing the expanse of wilderness that separates Egypt and Israel? Or is the travel a period of growth, a time for learning for change. I think we can already see how the different approaches line up here. It could well be that the Torah's pedantic, very deliberate listing of each place and each journey, each encampment, each destination, actually tells us, in other words, it doesn't just say we left Egypt, we got to Israel. It tells us stage by stage, stage by stage. It's not about getting from A to B. Um... There is a wonderful Mechilta on Parsha B'Shalach. Parsha B'Shalach begins, which can be read, God didn't take the, the direct route to Israel, the Derech Eretz Plishtim. Instead, he took them the Derech Yamsuf, which was the roundabout route, the Nasav, the, the roundabout route. And why? So the Mechilta says the following. He says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, if I bring them to the land of, to Eretz Israel now, then each person will suddenly involve themselves with their field, their vineyard. Um, everybody will be involved with just setting up their farm, setting up um, their life in Eretz Israel. 
And uh, what will happen to the Torah? What will happen to their religious legacy? How will B'nai Israel um, change? How will B'nai Israel become a religious nation? That is uh, what the Mechilta says. Maybe I'll read you the Mechilta in its original. And it says the following. Um, it says, Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Imani Madiach Shave Yisrael La'aretz, Miyad Machzikim Adam Besadehu, Va'adam Bekarmo, Ve'heim Betelim in HaTorah, Ela Akifam Bamidbar Arbaim Shana. I will bring them to the Midbar through a process of 40 years. Shiochlim man v'shotim me'be'er. They will eat the man, they will drink the be'er v'hatorah nivlelet b'gufan. And the Torah will somehow be absorbed into their body. Um, the aim according to this of the journey is that God wanted them to be in the Midbar 40 years in order to develop a Jewish culture. In order to learn what it was to become a Bnei Yisrael. That's, that's what the purpose was. Am Yisrael were very much in process. They were, came out of Egypt, the slave nation, and they needed to develop spiritually, culturally, civilly, in order to enter the land of Israel in a more mature state. And here I refer to Pasuk Bet. It says, Vayichtov Moshe 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 wrote the origin of each of their journeys, Alpi Hashem. The language here describes the notion that this is there is a, a journey, there is a trek, and there is an origin. I put it this way. Each journey begins from a certain origin. But each origin is the beginning of a journey. I think I've said it right. In other words, the question isn't so much where are you? But it is where are you going, or where do you go from here? But we are always in a state of movement, in a state of growth. Um, each place is not a destination, it is the beginning of the next journey. Um, the, 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 the notion here, and the most important thing, is that Am Yisrael are, are developing. And... Uh, Maybe I should say developing, ascending, growing, and that is a mas'e. And this is possibly a very fitting way to end uh, Sefer Bamidbar. Sefer Bamidbar can be seen as as a book of failure, a book in which uh, Bnei Israel sinned and and rebelled and failed to live up to their legacy. But in fact, as I began the shiur, Bnei Israel ends at the border of the Promised Land. They have made it. And they made it because of the Mas'eb and Israel, because they have been able to undergo that process, which has taken them not just from the origin of Egypt to the destination of Israel, but they have grown through that process. They have undergone a, a life-changing or a character-changing transformation. And that is uh, the summary which is happening here. And it could well be that this, again, Vayisu, Vayachanu, Vayisu, Vayachanu, Vayisu, Vayachanu, is exactly the literary, um, the literary outer form which is trying to describe that ongoing journey that uh, Bnei Israel underwent on their way to the Promised Land, and which beckons us to to consider our personal journey and our personal growth.
We will leave it there for Sefer Bami Bar, and I look forward to starting Sefer Dvarim with you, uh, please God, next week.